Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to chapter 8, Second Coming of Jesus. Did anybody read this chapter ahead of time? I hope so. Anybody not? Okay. I'm getting nods to both questions, so we're not going to figure out which nod, which answer is. That's all right. Sarah's looking at me like, if you want to live, I'm going to rat you right out. Did you read it, Bob? <laughs> so, so good. All right. So the title of this week is The Second Coming of Jesus. We're working our way through. I think we're halfway through this, this book now. I think there's 16 or 18, so we're getting close. Um, when you think of the second coming of Jesus, what comes to mind? I think, I, I think in a, a very theatrical way of the skies opening up and see Jesus coming down and putting his hands down. That's, cool. that's the first thing I picture when the second coming of Christ. Now, reading what I've read and studying some of Revelation along with Daniel, you know, it's, 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 I don't think it's going to be all, um, there's going to be a, it's going to be a great rejoicing, but I also think there's going to be a lot of, unless I'm reading it wrong, it seems like there's, there's going to be a lot of, a lot of, we don't know what's going to be going on. You know, I think it's going to be a lot of fear in the, in the fear in this, the, the, the more definition that we do of fear, afraid people think just, there's, there's going to be a lot, there's going to be destruction. It's going to be a lot. So let's jump right into the first paragraph and read a couple of the intros to get us started. Um, in the previous lesson, we studied the truth about the wages of sin, death. We saw that the Bible likened the death that comes to all human beings as a sleep, and that one day Christ will return and awaken all his people who sleep in the dust of the earth, in what is known as the resurrection of the just. Jesus made this promise, John 14, verse 2 and 3. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That's like a verse that I think most people who grew up in the church as kids, man, you know, key text. A lot of hope there, you know? So Jesus is coming again, and that's awesome. But, this is where the lesson gets into, Jesus warned us long ago that there are those who would deceive us about this. Uh, someone who's willing to read the first there those two verses in Matthew. Uh, Matthew twenty four three through five. Uh, now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, "Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming, and the edge of the age, at the end of the end of the age?" Jesus answered and said to them, "Take heed that no one deceives you." Verse twenty four. For false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs, the wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Right. So it's kind of an interesting, like, warning that he kind of throws out there. Jump to the next page, the top there, 2 Timothy 4, 3, and 4. Someone want to read that for us. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine 
but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears. They will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. So, that's a really cool verse. Fables. What's another word for fables? Tales. Story. Fantasy. Yeah. Something that's not even based in reality. So, what I think is really interesting is Jesus gives this warning that he said, false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders and deceive even the elect. And then you connect that with this other verse in 2 Timothy. They rejected sound doctrine, but they preferred according to their own desires. So if you think about this connection where false Christs and prophets come up, because people are rejecting truth, because they're searching for something else. Does that make sense? It's kind of like, I saw that interesting connection where it's like, if a person prefers something and they are seeking after it, then the scripture, even, even there's verses to say, seek and you will find. And so if you're thinking about the great controversy, the war between Christ and Satan, Satan's trying to corrupt, deface the image of God in us, set himself up and be worshipped. So if a person is rejecting truth and has these itching ears and they're, they're rejecting sound doctrine and they're, and they're searching things for their own desires, won't Satan bring things to them to affirm what they're already searching for? Mm -hmm. Kind of interesting. Any thoughts on that? Well, Satan will use familiar things or belief systems that you kind of hold on to and twist them. Yeah. You know, just look at you know, I, I'm going to be hard on our Catholic brethren, you know, and the, and the way they kind of have gone up. And if you read their own writings, it's very anti-Bible. Right. And they use philosophy and things other than biblical sources to validate their positions. Yeah. And it's, you know, but you see how Satan worked with a group of Christians that went that way. Versus, you know, how Satan is, you know, working in the world today. People think aliens are going to come down or there's going to be this Independence Day kind of moment. You know what? There might be. But if you read the Bible, there's a lot of hope because it yeah. kind of, it spells it out right here. Yeah. We are in these days. Yeah. The, um, uh, one, one other thing too, I mean, even long before Christ came in, you look at, uh, going to mythological witches can be brought through by Satan. The sirens. The sirens are telling lies to these sailors mm -hmm. in their boats. We want you to come over here, come over here, peace, peace, peace. And what was happening? They were crashing and dying on the rocks. It was just an attraction. That's what Satan's constantly doing us right now. We get attracted to something that appears to be the, the great thing. And, and that's why I really appreciate that one verse uh, about, you know, the, the false Christ and the false prophets. There's so many, and hey, I've slipped before, and who says I'm not going to slip again? Um, you know, it's it's really got to be. It's it's a it's a it's a confusing, scary situation. Which whether I'm here or whether it happens after I'm gone, but it, it's just a it's just so hard to tell the truth because because so much of life is full of lies. Check. I thought our own, Satan will use our own 
beliefs and our own things that we focus on. Preconceived ideas. Well, just things that we focus on, our hobbies, our Mm -hmm. this, our that, or whatever, or, or just how we, we perceive the world. Like if someone's a certain way, then, and they're not feeling the Bible because it just doesn't fit within that, they will look for something else. And, you know, it's just like when you buy a shiny new car that you love and all of a sudden you see 20 of them more because your focus is on that. When you, when you think about, as they mentioned here in Second Timothy, but according to their own desires, because they have itchy years, they will heap up for themselves teachers in turn. So if you look at like Mount Sinai, you know, Moses came down with the commandments and according to the desires of the Israelites, freshly freed slaves heaped up for themselves a god of a golden calf. Right? According to their own desire. So it's a really Baal. Which is Baal, exactly. Um, so it's a really cool <clears throat> kind of illustration to think about that. Um, let's go to the middle paragraph of this page and then we'll get into some of these points. For us to be safe, the author brings out that we need to really look at the careful study of the Bible. Um, and I 100% agree with that. And we've got to look at all the text to come up with this really clear picture um, of what the second coming is about. However, I want to just throw a little caveat in there to say that all the other different beliefs that people have about the second coming of Jesus, they also take from a careful study of the Bible. And so I want to add to this study a, a second component that says not only do we need to, to look at all the text related to the second coming, but we also need to ask the question, what does it say about God? Or what kind of God does that look like? Like I, I feel like we need to kind of, because if we do a careful study of the Bible with a false idea of God's character, then we come away with a wrong conclusion, even though it's the same Bible. So I think, I think that's really important to just kind of keep in mind too, to ask some of these questions, especially later in this lesson, there's a heck of a lot of fire and brimstone that comes out. I mean, it gets pretty gnarly. So, so I, I just think it's really important for us to, to keep in mind there that John 17, 3 says eternal life is to know you, the one true God, not know the right way he's going to come back for the second coming, right? So knowing the kind of person God is is key. Um, <clears throat> so let's jump into there at the bottom. Um Someone read for us number one. The second coming of Christ will be literal. Sarah, how about you? Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Mm-hmm. Do you see how kind that was? How kind? How kind they were to talk to the humans. Oh, like and an easy response. They, their manner. Interesting. It's not, Boom! Fear me. You know what I mean? It's it's not that. It's very calm. Very, you know, well, why do you look up there? Yeah. You know. That's cool. 
And so the fear and the loathing and the all that stuff around, it's going to be a very scary time, the end of the world, but you have nothing to fear. The lesson points that out later. I think we'll, we'll bring that out that Paul talks about that too. I think it's Thessalonians it was. Yeah, it's, but you don't need to fear, brethren. You're of the light. There's nothing here for you to be afraid of, which is, which is, that's, Mark, I'm really glad you brought that up. So here's angels directly from God's presence, created in the image of God, and they're chill. That's cool. That's cool. So literal, when Jesus returned to heaven after his resurrection, it was not a secret or a spiritual event that only those of faith could experience. I think that's a really important thing to note. But it was a real and personable event witnessed by all those who were there. We can, we can explore who all maybe was standing on the fringes of that crowd. Maybe someone who was spitting on Jesus before he was crucified, but then found out he was resurrected and was on the fringes like saying, hmm, I wonder what this is really all about. And then they see him go up. They go, oh my goodness. Interesting. Uh, the lesson points out the second coming of Christ will be visible. Revelation 1, 7. Behold, he's coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even the even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of earth will mourn because of him. Matthew 24, 30, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Freeze. Yeah, man. I struggle. I struggled with it last night. I'm still struggling. Maybe there's a different definition that I look it up. When I think of mourn, I think of depressed, done, whatever. That's what I think of mourning. So I see mourn here, and it's also down in Matthew 20, and then underneath the third subheading, the second coming of Christ will be audible. Mm -hmm. All the tribes on the earth will mourn. It says in Revelation, all the tribes on the earth will mourn because of him. And then you go further down. All the tribes on the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming. So I, I see mourning as a... By definition of the word, it's a, it's a negative... It's a negative... Sad, right. It's a sad negative. Now, do I need to go into my concordance and look this up? I would. Yeah. Do a word study? Look at the original Greek? You know, Revelation, Matthew, New Testament stuff would have been Greek. See what's up. There's two sides to every coin, though. You're going to have those that are elated and happy. Those that walk the, you know, a walk with God. And then you're going to have those that are not happy. They're very really asking the rocks to cover them. Because they don't want to see what's in that bright light coming down. Because of the life they live? Or their fears they've held on to, or their, or their, you know, or the choices they made because there is a clear choice: you choose God or you choose not yes. God, and and that's that's a choice, and you've made that in your heart or in your head, and you've made it. Interesting how people who who have a desire of their heart for truth. Right? The teacher that they find is the true God. And the people who have a desire for their heart for not true, right? 
raise up from themselves false teachers and prophets. It's kind of interesting. Well, like there's our, our reality and your reality, our truth, your truth. No, there is truth. Right. And then there is stuff that isn't true. I want to, real quick, and then we'll finish the page and then we'll flip it over because that's when we get into some juicy, some juicy actions. All right, here's yeah. my real quick. Yeah. When you look up the word mourn, also look up the word tribes. Ooh. Just to see if there's what definition of tribes is. Just okay. throwing that in there. Well said. Real quick. <laughs> She's got some. So, like, I did just a real quick search on the word mourn. Um, and, you know, like, it, it kind of points you to, in Matthew, you know, the Beatitude, it says, Blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. Um, and then it kind of goes on to, um, you know, just talk about the idea of, you know, suffering right and the bible actually has somewhat of a positive right like we are to suffer right so like maybe that has something to kind of do with that idea like mm -hmm. the morning isn't actually a negative thing mm. in that moment it has uh, it might be our reality at the end of time where it's just that bad right so thirdly the second coming of christ would be audible uh, there at the bottom, verse of uh, Matthew chapter 24, he'll come with his angels, power and great glory, and he will send angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of earth to the other. I think, Joe, that's where that comes, that imagery of Jesus coming with his, like, and Revelation actually has the symbology of him like a like a uh, reap with a, with a sickle. He comes and he harvests. There's like that. Imagery and That's just always something I've had all my life. Super cool. Yeah. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Who here in this room wants to be in that category? Absolutely. Who doesn't sleep, but gets to be changed. Huh? Mm -hmm. Cool as heck. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised first incorruptible. We shall be changed. For this corruption, must put on corruption. Da, 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 da. It goes on and on. Um, and then 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 through 17. I love this passage. And I just think it kind of like paints an overall picture of this event. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. This is interesting. I wonder why that's a, a point there. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. And I think it's really interesting then that the author brings out in the following paragraph how, you know, the belief of a rapture, the Bible just doesn't support this idea of this silent secret event where, like, only spiritual people will just disappear for a while. I think everybody's going to know it. Or you die and you go to heaven or hell yeah. or wherever that, yeah. that belief. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and he just, and I, and I agree with him. All the accounts, it just, it clearly depicts Jesus there are no secrets. There are no 
God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. Think about this. That's a verse in the New Testament. God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. Imagine how much confusion that will be if there was a rapture. Where did they go? Yeah, and it's like, oh, I guess I go back down to earth and pretend we're, you know. Whatever it could be. Like, yeah. it just doesn't, it doesn't really fit well with the picture of God. That's really good, you know? Anything else stand out to you guys that was kind of interesting on that page? I, I like the point that it does bring up the it's not going to be a silent or secret event. You know, it's not like, well, only you and you and you are going to know about it, and the rest of us are going to be like, hey, where are they? No, it's going to be, you know, the, you know, and then the mark is that all of them saying that people who didn't have God in their life are going to be. And I'm still confused on that. I'm, I'm, I understand the concept, but we'll, we'll get to that, I'm sure. So yeah, just keep going. There's more biblical evidence to support what you're saying. That's a huge event, and this is where, you know, the author brings it out. Um, bottom of page ninety-six. The chariots of God are twenty thousand, even thousands of thousands. The Lord is among them, as in Sinai, in the holy place. The King James Version translates it. The chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of angels. The 20,000, even thousands of thousands, are the angels of God who will accompany him when he returns, as stated in Matthew 25. That's a lot of angels, man. That is a lot going on there. That is a lot going on there. And so, yeah, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. It's all out in the open. And why can God do that? And this is where it's really interesting. The author brings it out in a section where, um, you know, all through the biblical text, God had to veil himself. You know, behind the holy, most holy place, there's a curtain, veil himself, veil himself in the cloud. He was in the fire on Mount Sinai. There's a lot of different, Jesus was veiled in human flesh. But here at the second coming, he's not veiling nothing. Right? So this is kind of another evidence, which is really interesting, that you know, God told Moses, when Moses said, I want to see you, God said, no one can see my face and live. But then, was it First John? He said, we'll see him face to face, but we'll be like him. Referring to the second coming. And so I think this is really interesting that our characters, we will be like Christ. And so, and so we can now stand in unveiled truth. In the unveiled presence of God. And that's when he shows up unveiled. I think it's a really interesting point. So on that page 97, what are your thoughts on the second paragraph? Um, yeah, yeah, second main paragraph. The clouds are God's chariots. God's chariots is thousands of angels. When Jesus returns, he'll be accompanied by thousands of angels. Um, but then later on he says, Today, many teach that Jesus comes as a thief, meaning that he will come secretly and no one will see him but the faithful. But even in our church too, even though like the Adventist church, we teach that it's this big audible thing. Why do we still say, though, he's coming like a thief in the night? Why do we still incorporate I've that? never heard anybody really say that before. Yeah. Well, even Jesus said that he would come like a thief in the night. 
And so, and I think it was the idea that he would come when you didn't expect it. Hundred percent. Yeah, and also points out the same thing. Yeah, not 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 the not the private aspect of it all, like like a secret rapture. Right. I, imagine how horrifying that is. You're driving down the road, and all of a sudden, you're beamed up, but everyone else in the car isn't. And you so, hit, what does that say about God? Exactly. You know, God, God isn't yep. that random. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yep, it doesn't come away with a good picture for sure. So yeah, to your point, Mark, the author brings out Matthew 24. There at the end, Jesus says, "Therefore, be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect." So the expression isn't that that Christ is going to come secretly; it's that Christ will come unexpectedly. Right? That's the that's the 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 idea there. But but here is the verse I was talking to you about a little bit earlier. First Thessalonians five two through five. Check this out. Mark, you want to read that? I can't. I don't have my glasses. Oh, well. First Thessalonians. Yeah, they're at the bottom of 97. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of the night, nor of the darkness. What did you think about that? I mean, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says straight up, but brethren, you are not in darkness, so that this day will not, in other words, will not be unexpected. Well, you've been told what, what to expect. Yeah. It's all going to go to doo-doo. And, you know, and it's, it's, you know, the only thing saving us is going to be Christ coming in the clouds. It's going to be a rejoiceful time. I, I, I and, and he even says further somewhere in the Bible where it talks where he had to rush up his coming because of thanks, babe. Um, that because there may not be anybody left. Yeah. To witness it. The uh, the passage afterwards it says well it says this passage says the day of Christ's return should not come to believers as a thief. That is unexpectedly because believers should know when it's near. Yeah. So that's yeah. comforting, you know? Yeah. It should not be unexpected to those who are yeah, looking for it. Looking for it. And read what the Bible has to say about it. Yeah. So let's check out these next three verses, and here's where I think we'll get into some interesting conversations. So, uh, the first one would be there, Second Peter 3.10. Joe, you go first. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in, in it will be burned up. So, there's your first one. Let's keep going. How about uh, Psalms 50, verse 3? Our God shall come and shall not keep silent. A fire shall devour before him, and it shall be very tempestuous round about him. And then the last one's Isaiah 13. Go ahead, Lola, read that one. Behold, the day of our Lord comes, cruel with both wrath and fierce anger. And I'm sorry, and fierce anger. To lay the land desolate, and he will destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be darkness in its going forth, 
and the moon will not cause its light to shine. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will halt the arrogance of the proud and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. <laughs> Man, dude. Nuclear baby. But if you just took those verses out, what kind of God does that look like? That doesn't look like Jesus at all. I mean, that's... It's the same God that brought the flood. Which is Jesus. So let's let's go down through a little more here, and we'll just kind of see if we can kind of gain a little bit out of this idea. But... The, the author brings out how in the Old Testament, and we talked about this a little bit ago, how God veiled himself. And there on the next page, Exodus chapter 3, the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Are there any other uh, Bible stories that come to mind where God's fire was there, but nothing was being consumed? I was going to think, uh, when I read this last night, I was trying to think back on my memory. I remember you sent me something a bunch of years ago where it talked about flames, 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 this is the flame. And it's actually the, the fires of God. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wish I could remember exactly where and when, but that came to me when reading this last night about yeah. that, uh, that thing that you sent me. I don't know if you remember it or not. I'm not sure I'm head right now. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There you go. In the furnace. Mm-hmm. Yep. How about uh, Hophni and Phineas, the, the sons of, I'm not sure which priest. Aaron. The Aaron sons. Mm-hmm. And the, the Bible actually says the fires of God came out and consumed them but the priests carried them out by their tunics and buried them. So, like, if, if you know... They wouldn't have tunics. There you go. Weren't there fires at Sinai, right? Fires at Sinai, but the mountain wasn't consumed. It it uh, burned, I guess, their soul from within kind of thing. Right? So so what does it's it consume? Life. Yeah, so there's, there's two different kinds of fires here, and this is where it's kind of interesting to kind of unpack these, that when... Again, we have a false teacher who is confusing these two or taking our definition of what fire, which is consuming raw material, and says, well, that's, right? Then you can come out with this picture of God that's like burning people. So it's kind of interesting. So there's also the fire of truth. There you go. Well said. Well said. Exodus 24, 16 and 17. Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the clouds covered it six days, and on the seventh he called Moses up. The sight of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain. And then Hebrews 12, 29 plainly says, For our God is a consuming fire. So let's get the author's definition of this, and then we'll see if we agree with it or not, or if we want to add more to it. The fire that is pictured here as accompanying or representing God's presence is not fire as we know it, which burns fuel as wood and gasoline. 
The fire that surrounds the presence of God is something we have never seen, nor can we explain exactly what it is. But the prophet Isaiah did ask, who can live in it? Key peace. Now, key peace. What does most of Christianity tell you you don't want to go? To hell, which is a place of? Fire. Eternal burning fire. Let's read what the Bible says about that. Isaiah 33, 14. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness hath seized the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with the everlasting burnings? Here's the answer. He who walks righteously and speaks uprightly. He who despises the gain of oppressions. Who gestures with his hands, refusing bribes. Who stops his ears from hearing of bloodshed and shuts his eyes from seeing evil. According to that, the brethren of Christ will be the ones who spend eternity in the fire. So the hell message that Satan has corrupted tells you the one place you don't want to go is in God's presence with the fire of God's love and truth light. That is a wonky twist. When Ellen White spoke about her visions when she saw heaven, when she came to earth and she saw how dim and dull it was. Mm. And, you know, we've seen bright days where it's like, oh, you can't even go outside without some sunglasses. You know, it's just super bright. And to have that compared to be as dull yeah. as dusk. Yeah. So think of it this way. And I'm, we'll get into the millennium and other chapters, and I'll really get into like the lake of fire and other chapters and all that kind of stuff. So if God's presence is a fire, is a consuming fire, but doesn't consume the elements, then the image that the author was talking about there in Peter and Psalms about when God shows up, the very elements of heat will melt. All this stuff like melts down. They're two different events. What else do you get from fire? You get heat. Mm -hmm. But what else? Ash, smoke. Ash, smoke. What else? Uh, those are byproducts. But what? What else? What's that? What's another byproduct? Light. Light. It sheds light on all the nooks and crannies. And there's a lot of people that can't live without having their skeletons in their closet. Mm. And there won't be a closet. So when the, the, the spirit of love and truth, God is the source of truth, shows up, fully unveiled, and brings absolute truth to everyone's hearts and minds. If you have lived your life rejecting truth, living in denial, and your life is corrupt that way, and all of a sudden all of that truth hits you, it's, it'll, just, it'll destroy you. You will beg for the rocks to land on you to kill you because the pain is too severe. It'll destroy you. That's a consequence of your own action. Very interesting. But there's peace, though. When we go to heaven, we'll have time to ask our questions. Right. To get that, yeah. you know, why isn't brother so-and-so here or sister so-and-so? Right. And you'll know why. So how do we understand some of that stuff, man, that makes God look really good? So we'll end today, the bottom of page 100, and next week we'll, we'll, ask, we'll answer this question, 
What will happen to those left behind who are not changed? We'll pick it up from there next week. Page 101 there. We'll kind of talk about that. Any final thoughts or takeaways? I think I'm still confused, but you know what? There's no, nothing wrong with being confused. Because I think we, because I think if I know the answers, then I'm going to try circumventing the truth. So if I don't know the answers, I'm going to have to continue to try doing the best right thing that I can. I like where this author is going, and I think at the end of this study, uh, I don't, you know, I think a lot of your questions will be answered. It's and they are, they are, but 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 I but I'm afraid to put myself in a position of going. I know it because because I think then that can steer me to make a decision which I normally wouldn't make because I do know the truth. If that makes any sense. That's why it's important to share it. But that's where, you know, that's where you really are on the front lines of the cosmic battle. Mm -hmm. So far, this is shaping up to be a good chapter, I think. I think we're going to have a good good time unpacking it. Especially in the second part next week, we'll get into some good stuff. I got I got a beef with the author in a few. <laughs> a, a gentle beef with some of the things that he's has said in there. So I think it'll be kind of interesting to kind of unpack. But, uh, but yeah, I think it, the thing I do appreciate about this study at this point, though, is you, you know, um, I don't want to say run of the mill, but but I, I don't think I think uh, I think from my own impression, you go to church and you hear the saying, okay, all right, good, good, good. You don't really the average person, and I'm not saying I'm above average, but we don't really go into the crux of certain theories and logics that the Bible teaches us that we learn in a regular church setting, whether Adventist, Catholic, whatever. You know, we, we hear it, and we, we're supposed to accept it as the gospel and go go into our daily life. These here were, things are being dissected and going, okay. And that, that's what I'm appreciating about this study. Yeah. That things are being dissected instead of, yeah, we told you. Okay, go mm -hmm. on. Well said. Well, let's pray. Thank you, God, for this conversation. Thank you so much that when you show up, there is going to be no doubt in anyone's mind what the heck is going on. And we thank you that when you do show up, though, that you're not coming to cause damage and you're not coming to reap and, and lash out. Um, but we do praise you, though, that when you do show up, that there's only going to be two people, two groups of people, those who are who are expecting you and those who are not expecting you. And so I just thank you that you are working in all of our lives to, um, to just help reveal the truth to those in our, in our spheres, in our workplaces and families, so that more and more and more people can expect you when you do come. Thank you so much for all you've done for us. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Sorry, I'm trying to calm her down. It's fine.